You may be seated. Let's open in prayer, shall we? Father, we are, we do pause and reflect on everything you've provided for uh, in our lives and how you continue to do so. We are so thankful. And I pray you continue to provide it by opening your word to us this morning and uh, opening our hearts to hear what you have to say and apply it to our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew, and I'm a pastor here on staff. And uh, uh, did any, I, I was wondering, first question I want to ask you, I was wondering if anyone saw this uh, KC Star article. It's just a few weeks ago, I think. Um, it was titled, Atheist Megachurches uh, Take Root Across U.S. and World. And, uh, that, you know, when you're a pastor, a title like that kind of pops out at you uh, when you're reading the newspaper. But uh, well, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, there was one, one line in the article read, uh, it looked like a typical Sunday morning at any megachurch. The only thing missing was God. And it went on. Uh, if you think about church, this, the, the founders of this organization, this, uh, these megachurches was, was quoted as saying this. If you think about church, there's very little that's bad. And I thought, hey, thanks. That's great. Um, I'll take it, right? Uh, it's singing awesome songs. It's hearing interesting talks. It's thinking about improving yourself and helping other people. And uh, doing that in a community with wonderful relationships. So what part of that isn't to like? And uh, I actually kind of appreciated that. The teaching team this week, um, we found their website and we, uh, we watched a, a little video they put together, kind of, you know, promoting a self-promotional video. And, it's, and it's, it's really good. I want us to pay attention to it. I think we have something to learn from them. So just watch just a few minutes. Hi, I'm Sanderson. And I'm Pippa. And together we started the Sunday Assembly. It's all the best bits of church, but with no religion and awesome pop songs. It's a celebration of life. To explain this properly, let's begin at the beginning. It was almost three years ago, and we were in a car driving to Bath. When it turned out, we both wanted to do something like church for people who didn't believe in God, but did believe in good. We started in London in January, and now hundreds meet twice a month to hear great talks, sing awesome songs, help in the community, and share tea and cake. The funny thing was, it accidentally went a little bit viral. More and more of London's atheists are waking up on a Sunday morning and going to church. It turns out there are loads of people out there who want to live better, help often and wonder more. There's already one in Melbourne, New York, Bristol and Brighton. By the end of the year, there'll be 30. That's a 3,000% growth rate, I think. We've got this far, just us and a boatload of volunteers, but we've had hundreds of requests from people who want a Sunday assembly of their own. And if we want to reach the 300 million people across the world who have no religion, we're going to have to get digital. We need your help to build an organisation that is 100% dedicated to helping people live better, help often and wonder more. Throughout recorded history, humans have gathered together to celebrate their values. So imagine what could happen if we married the best parts of religion with modern science. Imagine if we had the tools to help others and to make ourselves as good as we can be. Imagine if we combined inspiration, technology and community to bring human potential to dizzying new heights in this one life we know we have. That's the mission of the Sunday Assembly. It's ambitious, but totally doable. Please support our project. Let us change the world with love and tech. Reason and joy. And tea and cake. Right now, obviously, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, so I, I fundamentally disagree with their worldview uh, of, the, of the video, uh, as well as their, even their assessment of the church as a place where you're supposed to improve yourself. That's really uh, not the point of church. But there are two things I loved about what they said. The first was, I love the tea and cake part. 
And uh, you do too, right? Because if you've seen how few donuts we have left after Sunday morning, right? You love it too. Uh, the second thing, the more, more fundamentally, is uh, the community part. People gathering together regularly to celebrate and work towards something that's bigger than themselves. And I don't know if you, I mean, you get that from the video. There's, this, there's something quite beautiful about that that they're tapping into, I think. And uh, here's what I think this tells us, it is, is that it doesn't really matter who you are, where you're from, or even ultimately what you believe. You need other people. You need relationships. You need community. It's something hardwired in each one of us. And here's the Christian difference, though, is that the Bible teaches that you don't just need those things, you don't just need community, you don't just need friendships to keep you from being bored or to have people to go to movies with or whatever it is that you do for fun. According to Scripture, there's something much more important at stake in our community. And for those of you who are new or visiting, uh, we've been just speeding through the Bible this year, uh, beginning to end uh, in open here. And uh, it's hard to believe we're almost done, actually, just a few Sundays left. And, and recently, we've been looking at what the New Testament specifically says about the Christian life. Uh, we talked a lot about what, uh, how, what Jesus did on the cross to make a relationship with God possible, and how anyone, anyone uh, can become a Christian by believing and following Jesus. Now, the text this morning, though, Hebrews 10, which we just heard read, it, it answers a different question. Not how do we uh, start the path of the Christian life, but how do we stay on it? How do we persevere on it? How do we endure what happens when all of a sudden God leads you somewhere you don't want to go? Uh, what happens to your faith when we find ourselves deeply disappointed with our lives or busy with our lives or distracted with our lives? What happens to our faith then? And maybe you're here this morning and you've been on this Christian path for a while, maybe not very long at all. Uh, how do you keep on it? Well, our passage this morning points out one thing uh, that I want to focus on, points out many things, but one thing one thing that we all must do, one thing that if we cut it out of our lives, if we ignore it, or if we crowd it out, or we don't take it seriously, uh, it will kill our faith. And that thing, that, that truth is this, is that we will not make it alone. We will not make it on our own. And if you cannot miss this point from Hebrews 10, so if you, got, if you brought your Bible, take a look, open to Hebrews 10. Don't be afraid to use your table of contents. It's a harder book to find. That's okay. Um, there are four things we learn in Hebrews this morning about the community that we need. And I'm not going to give all of them to you right now, but that's where we're going. There are four things that we learn about this community from Hebrews 10. And the first thing we learn, the first thing we're going to talk about is this. A commu- or sorry, life makes commu- this community necessary. Life makes it necessary. Now, anyone can tell you that life is harder when you're alone, right? Anyone can tell you that. No man is an island. It's a famous quote from our culture, right? Everybody knows that. But the first thing this passage teaches us is that life, the life of faith isn't just hard when you're alone. It's actually impossible when you're alone. Uh, isolation is incredibly dangerous. It's deadly to faith in Jesus. And the, and the church of Hebrews was beginning to forget this. And uh, we need to do a little background here before we dive into the text because many of, the, of, of these people going to this church, uh, used to, they used to be engaged there. They had chucked it all away. That's, where, that's the situation we find ourselves in in this church that the letter of Hebrews is written to. They'd abandoned the church. They'd abandoned their faith. They'd abandoned Jesus. They'd gone back to their old way of life. And those who were left, those who are reading this letter, are in danger of doing the same thing. 
And none of this, and uh, one of the more striking things, actually, about, about this letter to the Hebrews is, unlike so many other letters in the New Testament, a few of which we talked about in this series, unlike so many of those letters, there's no real crisis uh, driving the letter to this church. There's no false teaching that needs to be addressed, like a false teacher came in. There's no besetting public sins. You think of books like First or Second Corinthians. That's the reason for some of those letters. The, this church, they're just, a, they're just a normal congregation in a normal situation for them, uh, starting to not care anymore, to not take their community seriously anymore. And uh, actually, the language the author uses in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you're just drifting away. You're just drifting. No one's pushing you. You're just drifting. And that's where I think we need to sit up and pay attention because that's probably like us today, right? I mean, things are pretty normal for us. We're not persecuted by any global standard. Uh, I don't think there's any false teaching going on. I mean, we haven't been struck by lightning yet. That's at least a good sign. So I don't, you know, I don't think there's false teaching going on. You know, first service didn't think that was funny either. But um, <laughs> that's when I should have struck it out. Uh, <laughs> Right? But the point is, by any global standard, we're, we're pretty comfortable. We're pretty comfortable. And that's when Christians generally begin to drift, right? It's subtle, but it's deadly. It's so deadly, the author of the book of Hebrews, if you were to read the whole letter, spends nine chapters up to this point reminding this church exactly what it means to be a Christian, building to chapter 10, where the author begins to explain how we live this out. So how do we stop drifting? And the author gives three commands in our text, starting in verse 19 of chapter 10. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, right, stop there. He's saying this is everything Jesus has done for you. This is a summary of chapters 1 to 9, okay? Jesus did all of that. Now three commands. The first is, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So draw near to God. The next one, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast to your beliefs. Don't give up. And then finally, the third command and the longest one and the one I want to spend the most time on. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we're actually going to do a whole series on the book of Hebrews in January, so you'll have to forgive me for skipping a little bit here. Uh, But we really need to hear this third command. That's where I want to spend our time. Don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And this word neglect, don't neglect, is probably too soft in English. Uh, The original Greek word has has the idea of abandoning someone. Stop, don't abandon each other. They have been abandoning each other. And they're, they're actually in the habit of abandoning each other, is the language. They've just slowly drifted out of the community and then slowly drifted away from Jesus. And if you think I'm making too much uh, of this, just look at the passage that comes next. We're not going to read it. It's, it's, it's one of the most terrifying and powerful warnings to believers in the entire New Testament, right after this. The author says, these drifters no longer have any place with God. This is life and death stuff. But it's a very common story, even today. People whose faith, maybe you have an example, people whose faith we admired. Maybe even led us uh, to faith. Uh, Maybe invested in us, right? And they just drifted away 
Do you have someone like that in your life? Can you think of that? And as they've drifted from community, they've drifted from Jesus. And it's heartbreaking, but some of you know what I'm talking about. And the idea the author's getting at is something like this. Imagine yourself on a boat, alone, miles from shore, but you're anchored. Firm and immovable, right? Your boat's anchored until the rope breaks. And unless you're paying extremely close attention, right, you're watchful in every direction before you even know it, you can drift for miles. You won't even, you won't even know. A slow and steady drift out of reach of the anchor and lost at sea, and you didn't even feel it happening. But what the author says, in community, you share the vigilance. You have eyes in every direction. You're working together. You're anchored together. There are people to notice and speak up and encourage. Don't neglect to meet together, right? Keep eyes on each other, so the author is saying. If you want to take Jesus seriously, if you want to hold fast, if you want to make it, you will not make it on your own. Life makes community necessary because we drift without it. We do. Number two, life makes it necessary and the church makes it tangible. The church at its best makes this community tangible, makes it accessible. And I think this is what the author of the letter is trying to remind us. He says, don't give up on the church. It's the anchor that you need. And if he's right, then we must believe that the most important relationships to our faith and our lives outside of our relationship with God himself are the ones represented in this room. Let me say that again. The most important relationships in our life, for our life, for our faith, outside of our relationship to God himself, are the relationships with the people sitting around you right now. That's what the author is saying. He's saying, draw near to God, and then in the same breath, draw near to each other. It's on the same plane. Now, why is that? Well, look at verse 24. Because only in this faith community do we spur one another on to love and good deeds and encourage each other. Now, what does that mean? This word spur on is a really unusual word for the author to use because it it, it literally is a reference to spurring a horse, right? Is even the image that comes to our mind, right? Digging in your heels to provoke the horse to action. Do that to each other. (laughs) So uh, really, it means annoy each other prod each other in the right direction. Annoy each other. And you see, only in church, only in relationships of faith do we have permission in love to annoy each other. Right? To get in each other's faces. To kick each other in the pants when we are moving in the wrong direction. And likewise, the other side, only in the church do we truly encourage each other. This, this idea is the opposite of the spur on. It's to come alongside in times of pain or in times of crisis. And, and think about this, because there, I'm sure there are plenty of people in your life, regardless of their faith, regardless of their beliefs, who can try to comfort you when you are in pain. That's true. But only, only a genuine follower of Jesus, right, can tell you from experience the moment you fail that God still loves you. Only that person can tell you that. And And only a genuine follower of Jesus can tell you in in your moment of deepest pain or disappointment or loss or anguish and tell you from experience, God has not abandoned you, right? The church makes this tangible. All the stuff we talk about, right? Forgiveness, love, acceptance, things Christians talk about, it becomes tangible, becomes feelable in the church. 
That's the idea. Now, this is important. Because many people read this and have read this and have preached it, basically to say, well, as long as I come on, uh, to church on Sunday morning, I'm going to experience this kind of community that the text is talking about. They read, don't neglect to meet together, and they think that that means go to church on Sunday once a week. And I'm here to tell you that's a good start, but it's not enough. It's not nearly enough. Believe it or not, the preacher and the worship pastor, right, which today is me and Randy, Randy and I are not nearly annoying enough to save your souls, okay? I know it's hard to believe, but we're not. Um, Nor are we encouraging enough for you. I mean, look around this room. If this is the sum total of your spiritual community, you aren't going to make it. You can't possibly fulfill this command to meet together in the sense the author means in a room in a group this size, right? There are three, three, four hundred people in here right now. And this is where, as a church, as Christ community, I think we have a lot of room to grow. And we need to grow in how we make this kind of community that the author is talking about tangible and accessible for everyone here. So let's, let's get practical for just a minute. Um, we think that the best place for this to happen, for growth to happen in all of our lives, is in small groups. And around here, we call them community groups. Maybe you've been in a different place and they call them something else. Here, we call them community groups. And one of our strategic goals for next year, starting in January, so just a few months away, is to get as many people who are willing into a community group, into a small group of people who can annoy and encourage each other in Jesus' name. And if we take the letter of Hebrews seriously, and really, if we take the whole Bible seriously, because this is the message of the Bible, then we have to believe that spiritual community like this is one of the primary catalysts, it's one of the primary contributors to spiritual maturity and growth. If you want to experience the change the Bible talks about, if you want to experience the joy of community, if you want to hold fast to Jesus and stay the path, if you want to make it, you need people in your life. And the easiest way to do that here is in a community group. Now, some of you, a lot of you, maybe you're already experiencing this, right? You're already in a group, and you've gotten at least a taste of what this can be. Now, because we believe this kind of community is so essential, we've, we are making some changes because we need to grow here, right? I mentioned this before. So starting in January, we are launching a whole new endeavor and way of doing community groups, and we want everyone to jump in. So I just want to take a minute and tell you about it. Uh, we're structuring our groups into three eight-week trimesters, throughout the year. So they meet once in the fall, once in the winter, and once in the spring. And we're asking uh, our groups to meet every week during those eight-week sessions. So 20, if you do the math there, three times eight, 20, so meeting 24 times a year. Eight weeks of community followed by several weeks of rest between trimesters before jumping in again with the summers off. And we just don't think that every other week or once a month will cut it. We cannot build the kind of relationships that we need with so little intention, right? There's, there's too much at stake if we read this text correctly. Now, after each eight-week session, you'll have a choice. Do I like my group and I want to re-up with it next trimester, or do I need to find another one? You'll have that choice every time. The new structure, right, gives us three on-ramps for people to join and three off-ramps for people to try something different. And all we're asking right now is that you try it for eight weeks, just eight weeks. Just try it. January 19th, this January 19th through March 9th. That's it. If you want to jump back in, in again in April and again in September, right, that's the, the flow. That's how it'll work. We would love that. We hope that you do that. But just one step at a time. 
Eight weeks. We've even developed our own study material for groups uh, to go through uh, a couple weeks a year. And the first study that we have, is av- it's going to be available in January for groups to go through. And it's, it's basically on the five things we think are the most important uh, for every Christian or for every person exploring the faith. These are the five things we think we want you to know about the life God has designed for you to live. And these groups aren't just so we can grow in our knowledge of the faith, right, cognitively, but in our relationships with each other, to know and be known, for our families to connect, to support one another. This is the place at our church where, where this kind of community, this authentic Hebrews-like community is tangible. Life makes it necessary, right? The church makes it tangible at its best. But third point, sometimes we make it difficult. Sometimes we make community difficult. And uh, we aren't exactly sure what was making the church of the Hebrews, of this letter, neglect meeting together. We, we don't really know. We know what was happening. We don't know what their struggles were, but we certainly can guess what ours are, right? And some of us, even as I'm sharing this and talking to you about groups and joining a group, you're maybe already thinking of reasons that you can't or reasons that you won't. And we all do this. We make it difficult. <laughs> and honestly, by we, I mean me, because I, I can resonate with, with probably a lot of the reasons you may be thinking right now. So let's talk about it, okay? Five here are just five possible objections, okay, to, to why you wouldn't want to engage in this. Let's, t- let's talk about it. Objection number one. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not Christian enough to do this. I'm not Christian enough. I mean, right, it sounds like this is something for people who are already strong Christians or they've been doing this for a while. Listen, if you're new to your faith or even if you're just curious about the Christian life and faith and what all that means, these groups are for you. I want you to hear that from me. And uh, I came to faith later in life. Before I did, I was thrown into a dormitory full of Christians. And it's a long story how that happened, but that's what happened. And uh, when I was there, was it a bit of a culture shock for me? Yes, it was. Did I have any idea what the phrases guard your heart and do your devos and other cheesy things Christians say meant? Did I have any clue? I did not. I had no clue. Were these relationships the beginning of the biggest change in my life? Were these relationships one of the most influential things that have ever happened to me? Absolutely, yes. I would not be here today forcing you to listen to me if it wasn't for these relationships because they introduced me to Jesus. Now, maybe you're still thinking, well, yeah, but Christians are weird. And I'm not going to argue with you there. I mean, it's, yeah, maybe we're kind of weird. I was going to say, but once you get to know us, but I'm not sure that's true either. Um, (laughs) Maybe we're still kind of weird, but not as weird as you think. And we're all in with you. I'll say that on behalf of everyone here. We're all in for you. We want you engaging here. We want to do life with you. And it's only eight weeks. You can do it. Okay, objection number two. I'm doing just fine on my own. Doing just fine. And uh, maybe you're thinking kind of on the other end of the spectrum. I've got this Christian thing down. I've been at it for years. I've done every Bible study imaginable. And I'm fine. I don't need this. Now, I've been there too, but certain things. But this attitude, I, I want us to be honest with ourselves, is this attitude that I'm fine is probably one of the most dangerous attitudes you can have in the Christian life. I mean, it's got to be top three. It's better to lack confidence than to have too much in yourself because how many confessions of moral failure 
especially from Christian leaders, begin with the sentence or the idea, I just didn't think I was capable of doing that anymore. I didn't think it, it wasn't a problem for me. I was beyond that, right? No. One mark of, the, of a really mature believer, a really mature Christian, someone who really knows what they're doing, is that they know no one, no one is so mature that they are incapable of making incredibly costly and stupid mistakes on their own. The person who has studied this book and knows themselves well probably does not need this message this morning because they're already plugged into a group. They already realize this is not a game. This is life and death. No one graduates from needing intentional community. And the proof, before he began his ministry, what did the, the most spiritually mature person in history, Jesus, what's the first thing he did before he started his ministry? He started a small group, right? He pulled people alongside together with him. And if he needs it, we certainly need it. Another way of, th- maybe you're thinking something a little different, like, you know, I'm fine, I'm, I'm, I'm a man, I don't need people, right? And I think, I want to take a moment, I think men, sometimes we struggle with this, of this idea that we need relationships. We imagine that a community group will be like the last play date birthday party your wife dragged you to for some kid that you don't know, Right? And uh, if, you, if you're in that stage of life, you know what I'm talking about. And it's like, what, what am I doing here? No, I don't want to pin the tail on the donkey, right? But if you're there, be honest, be honest with yourself. You, you want a friend as much as anybody else. Stop it. You want a friend. You're just afraid that it's going to get cheesy really fast. And listen, we're not going to sit around in a circle and hold hands and just talk about our feelings in these groups, especially not the first week. <laughs> right? <laughs> Give it a try. Give it a try. It's eight weeks. Or maybe for you it's a lot simpler than all of that. You just feel like life is fine right now. Uh, This just doesn't feel like a felt need. I don't feel that I need this. I haven't needed it. I haven't needed to work hard for my community before. Why would I do it now? And uh, if that's where you are, just remember, intentional community, right? Real friends, people who are committed to you, is one of those things that you don't think you need until you need it. Because something happens, right? And it always does. Some life happens. Crisis happens. You lose your job. You lose someone. You make a mistake. You fail. Your marriage is falling apart. Your kids start making bad decisions. You don't know what to do, right? You find yourself suddenly in need of support and friendship. And whatever, whatever it was that the crisis that drove you there, by the time it actually hits... It's often too late to find those relationships. You're in the thick of it already. But hey, just for the sake of argument, okay, let's assume that you are perfect and that nothing bad will ever happen to you, okay? What about the people sitting around you? What about them? This isn't just about what you need. It's about what they need. It's about what we need. And the author of Hebrews actually doesn't say, find a place to receive encouragement. He says, go and find a place where you can encourage each other. You don't just need community. This community needs you. The church needs you. And if you disengage from this, if you don't make that a priority in your life, you don't just lose out on something. We lose out on something. We all lose out. And this leads to objection three. Uh, It's too messy, right? Community, people, it's just too messy, and I don't want to get near it. 
Well, yeah, it's messy. It is. I'm not going to lie to you. The people who, who you join a group with are just as flawed and selfish and blind to their own problems as you are. So I don't know what you were expecting. Um, people who come to church, if you think about it, are mostly people who have banked their lives on the assumption that they are so bad, that they are so evil, that God had to become a human being and die for them. And that you are getting into a small group of them. <laughs> right? So is it messy? Probably sometimes. Community is messy. But here's the thing, community is only hard in those moments because it's working. It's working. We only begin to see our spiritual blind spots when other people have permission to name them for us. That's inherent to a blind spot, right? You don't see it on your own. And that's not always fun to hear that, but it is always transformative. Community, like anything we're doing, is not always easy, but it works. And I was recently in a conversation with a group leader uh, here, and uh, there's some heavy stuff happening in the group right now, and, and we were talking about that, and he told me, yeah, you know, things are heavy right now. People's issues are coming out. There's things happening in their lives, and we're having to deal with some of that together. And I didn't say a word, and he paused, and he said, but you know what? I guess that's the point, isn't it? That's how we grow together. This hard stuff that we're dealing with was always there. It was always there, but now there's a loving environment where we can process it together in faith. Bingo. He's got it. Groups aren't always hard, but when they are, it's not because they're failing, it's because they're working. That's the point. All right, objection four. Uh, I'm too picky. I'm too picky. Because it's like, what if you get in a group of people that you don't have a lot in common with, right? They root for KU, and you went to MU or K-State, or they like cats, and you like dogs, or I mean, right? Whatever it is, whatever reason it is. Well, first of all, it's only eight weeks, right? You cannot talk about the Jayhawks for eight weeks, so you can do it. Um, but more, import- more importantly than that, more fundamental than that, the church is not a social club. The church is not a social club. There are plenty of organizations, there are plenty of places out there centered around common interests like socioeconomic status or comic book heroes or whatever it is that you want to find. The church, however, is not centered around you. It's centered around Jesus. And Jesus attracts all kinds of people. And the promise of God to his church is that he will use all kinds of people. He will use any kinds of people. People you never would have chosen. People you never would have befriended to change your life. That's what church is. I had a friend tell me recently that the group he ended up in, he never would have chosen on his own. He said, but it's the group that I needed and it's the only one I would join today, knowing what I know. And he said, it's a good thing the choice wasn't mine in the first place. Because I would have made the wrong one. Don't be too picky, okay? We are all living proof that we serve a God who is not picky, okay? Right? Thank goodness. Objection number five. Uh, I'm too busy. You know, Andrew, everything you're saying I agree with, I get it, but I just, I don't have the margin. I can't do it right now. I'm too busy. And this is probably as a pastor the one I hear the most. And I get it. You're busy. We're bu- I mean, we're all busy. This is kind of the water we swim in. And for many of us, the life we're living right now, we really don't have time for this. I mean, unless we made some big decisions, we don't have time. But here's the thing. If we believe this book, the Bible, if we believe what it says about the importance of this community in our lives, then this might be the worst excuse ever. And I say that to me just as much as I'm saying it to you, Okay? 
It's like having a shooting pain down your arm in the middle of your workday and thinking, eh, I'll see if I have time to go to the hospital. I'll make margin to go to the hospital uh, after I finish my emails, right? Does anybody do that? No. This is spiritual life and death. That's what the Bible says. You don't make margin to go to the ER. You drop everything and you go. It's that important. Hebrews is telling us you don't make margin for community. You don't whip out the calendar and fit all kinds of other stuff on it and then wonder if you have space for God and his design for your life and the community he wants you to be in. Okay? God's design for our lives is not a hobby. Margin is for everything else. This stuff is first. Otherwise, we drift. We drift. We do. Because we cannot make it on our own. We just can't. And now, myself included, as I was writing the sermon, and maybe you feel, we're feeling a little guilty (laughs) and probably a little overwhelmed. But listen, fourth point, life makes it necessary. The church makes it tangible. We often make it difficult, but Jesus makes it possible. Jesus makes his community possible. And remember verses 19 to 22, the author says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And the the idea here, Jesus did all of that. It's done. It's already been done. We have access to God, complete access to God, and a high priest who knows our weaknesses, knows everything about you, knows stuff about you that you don't know about you, and loves you anyway. Therefore, we can have true and meaningful community, right? No more shame. Now, how is that? Well, the gospel does that by reminding us of two things. The first thing the gospel reminds us of is how messed up we are, because the God of the universe had to become a man and die in order to save you, right? I'm that bad, you're that bad. That's the message of the Bible, And and, uh, if that's true, then there is no room in our community for arrogance. There's no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for unforgiveness. Because if you look in the mirror and you truly understand what you see, you won't do those things. On the other hand, at the same time, the gospel reminds us and tells us that that God died for us and was glad to do it. Jesus loved us so much, loved us that much, he did it willingly. And now I am fully accepted as his son, as his daughter. There is no room for insecurity. I have the resources to be open and authentic with people. And I have the resources now to love others who are different from me because Jesus loves them, right? Do you see how Jesus makes this possible? There's nothing he could, we could do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do to make him love us less. And we don't need to manage our image with others to be accepted. We already are by the only person and by the only opinion in the universe that matters. And that makes real community possible. And I could tell you story after story of my own life of how community has, has, has changed me. And I, I could tell you more about the guys I met at school who, who loved me even though I worked really, really hard to make that impossible. I did. I really did. They loved me anyway, and because they did, I met Jesus through them. And I could tell you about the intentional friendships I have now uh, that have given me the strength and accountability I need to have freedom from sins in my own life. I could tell you all about those things, but don't take my word for it. 
Just try it. Eight weeks, you can do it. When you sat down, there was a card on your chair. And we're going to take the next few minutes, and here's what I want us to do, okay? Pray about next steps. Whether you're a guest or you've been here forever, what's the next thing God wants you to do? And for some of you, it'll be signing up for a group right here. So get a pen, borrow one if you have to. There should be one on the clipboard near you if you can't find one. Fill out that card that you found on your chair and drop it at the doors when you leave. There's baskets on tables out there. Just drop it in as you leave. You're in. We'll be in touch with you after the holidays about next steps and how to join a group in January. And for those of you who are already in a group, I want you to go ahead and fill out that card and to add your leader name too, if you think of it, and then turn it over and write one thing, one blessing, one thing you are thankful for about your group right now. And be thankful for that because groups are messy, I get it, but they are a huge gift. And for those of you who just aren't ready yet, you're not ready for this, that's okay. Pray about it. Take the card with you. Take it home with you. Carry it in your pocket or your purse for a while as a reminder to pray. What is God asking you to do next? What does he want you to do next? And none of us are going to make it alone, you guys. That's the, that's the promise. That's the, that's the warning of Scripture. But the promise of Scripture and the promise of Hebrews is that we don't have to. We don't have to try to make it alone. Now, Randy and his team are coming up right now. And they're going to play a song while we reflect on this and respond with this card. So let's, let's say a quick prayer as we begin. Father, we do ask that you give us wisdom and insight and direction into what our next step is right now. Whether that's joining a group, being thankful for our group, or still thinking about whether we're ready for this or not with your guidance. And I pray by your spirit you equip us to make those decisions well. And that you, through this, this moment right here, fruit would be born for your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.